Hey, we're in uh, the fourth week of a series on resetting relationships, and uh, I just want to, uh, I hope that what I've got in my heart is going to help you today, and um, well, I'm pretty confident it's going to, but um, that, that's another thing. Um, how are we all doing? Well, good. That's a good churchy answer. How are we really doing? Great. Pretty good. Fabulous. Yeah, well, that's a good answer to life, isn't it? Um, you know, we've got to be mindful that there are a lot of people who aren't great and people who are not doing well, and uh, we are so blessed to be gathered like this, albeit with masks on at the moment, but that's kind of just the nature of the beast. Um, it's not going to be permanent. Just to give you a word of encouragement, I can't see this being the way we live in six months from now. I'm, I'm not happy to be proven wrong, but let's just see how we go. So hang in there, folks, is what I'm trying to say. Let's stay positive. Let's be the people who go, yep, we can get through this. Yep, we can do this. Yes, there is still a God in heaven and Jesus is still Lord. Amen? In spite of all of the little parameters that are going on. Well, I want to talk to you about relationships today. And I want to say from the outset, I think in a way that maybe seriously we underestimate, God's actually completely and utterly sold out on and is completely into relationship. It is number one priority for him is relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, inextricably linked from the get-go. There's never been a time when they weren't together and there's never going to be time when they aren't together and they are still together now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is the living, uh, breathing example of relationship. It's a template that we, I think can sometimes miss that we were created for a relationship. Many of you have heard me say many, many times, uh, quoting from Genesis chapter 2, where God announces the first thing he announces is not good is for a man to be alone. Uh, and I said only a few weeks ago, that statement was made when Adam was actually hanging out with God. So like most of us are going, that would be a good day. I wouldn't mind the hanging out with God parameter around my life, like just knowing not only believing that I was in the presence of God, but actually Adam knew he was in the presence of God and God still says to him, it's not good for you to be alone. It's like, well, hang on a minute. Maybe there's a huge element of that truth that is stamped on every one of us and I'm convinced that's the case. And so we're meant to do life in relationship. And I've noticed in my life that relationships are complicated, especially the more people that are in the cohort that you're thinking of as a relationship, so as your family grows from, if you're a married couple, it goes from one to two people, then maybe to kids and sometimes tribes of kids, but then we, uh, we become parts of a family like this that's got the capacity to have a limitless number of people and by Jiminy Crickets, life gets complicated when we start gathering in larger numbers because of a number of issues. So I want to uh, just touch on a couple of, these might be controversial for you, but just bear with me, I'm trying to get to a point here. Uh, there's a lot of airplay at the moment given to this, this little phrase, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. I sit there and think, like all truisms, this is a truism, you say truism, it's not the truth. It's true in a certain context, but it's not true in every context. And it sure as heck ain't true if you're a Christ follower in many contexts. Because the Bible tells us bluntly in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Wow. Oh, hey? Wow. Oh, I'm not happy about that. You were bought at a price. There's a statement in the Word of God about who owns whom. During the week, I was having some time, prayer time with God, and I felt God asked me this question, which is the framework around which this message has been created. Am I an owner-occupier of your life, or do you just rent some space to me as it suits you? Am I an owner-occupier of my body, or do you just rent space to me when you want something or when it suits you? I thought, oh, that's a really dirty question to ask God. We're getting somewhere serious. See, Paul uses the language, and many a, a person who wants to be a critic of the Scriptures and of the Christian faith in its essence would throw this line at you. The Bible teaches them and doesn't actually speak against slavery. Well, that's not exactly true to say that, but we, that's not what I'm trying to, I don't want to spend any time in that zone. Other than to say, Paul uses the reality of slavery in his era and time and space to actually illustrate a point that when it comes to us giving our lives to Christ, we end up his possession. It's his body, his choice. Whoa. Through my body, and I want to say this carefully about choices, um, that, that, that's a, a very complicated issue. Um, let me just keep going. So, our view of the world and the people in it needs to be formed from what the Bible says, not just what we think we know, what we understand, or have learned by experience. Even in the realm of the things of God, Paul says elsewhere, he says, we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. You don't know everything. You don't know everything about an area you're an expert in. You still don't know. And this is where we start to have the wheels fall off relationships because we continue to think, I think we continue to think, I'm actually pretty informed about this matter and my opinion counts. And... So, here we go. I'm getting into some tenuous territory, aren't This thought came to me. Unity can be the first victim of a strongly held opinion. Let me say it again. Unity can be the first casualty of a strongly held opinion. You've got to ask yourself this question. Is God owning you or is he renting space in you when you're going down a certain rabbit warren of thinking or opinion or strongly held Next little phrase I'll write. These, these are Bruceisms for coming out of here today. If you don't like them, just uh, put a line through them after you've written them down. This one's the next one. A strongly held opinion is the soil in which offence can grow. Not a fence, offence. Wow. Let me say it again. A strongly held opinion, not always, but more often than not, is the soil in which an offence can grow. And you've got to ask yourself the question, am I more important to me than we is to me? Good, ling good English language there. You would, if you've been around the place for the last month or so, you know I'm on a bit of a bender on this particular issue, but I'm, I'm convinced that this COVID season is kicking me in the head about the importance of this, yeah. of us. 
Is it a priority? And sadly, I see in lots of contexts people willing to throw this away to remain stuck to an opinion about some particular topic, whatever that might be. And you probably know what I'm thinking of. There's a number of controversial topics in the arena at the moment, but they've never been not there. If it's not this issue, it's another issue. If it's not that issue, it's this issue. It's, it, it ranges across the spectrum through politics, through what we believe, to what we eat, to what we drink, to what we don't drink, to what we abstain from, what we're going to commit ourselves to, stop doing this, start doing that. If you didn't do this, you didn't do that. You can find information to blow your hat off, right? You just got to open it, your phone or your computer or, dare I say it, the old school, get out a book and read it. And you'll find, find people putting ideas in front of you. Jesus warned in Luke 17, it is impossible that no offences should come. But woe to the him, her, through whom they do come. There's a bit of a warning about sort of causing a strife. Are you a stirrer in your relationships? I used to have a reputation of being a very mischievous stirrer. We used to go to dinner parties with some friends years ago and I took great delight in reducing the hostess to tears. I just used to tease her about, I hope she's not watching, she can call me later and forgive me. I used to tease her about her, and you, don't you say anything, I used to tease her about her cat, she loved cats. And her cats used to sleep on top of the air conditioner, on the fridge, on the kitchen table while they were eating dinner. Not really my thing. And so I just decided at dinner to start talking about dead cat jokes. I thought it would be good form. I was young and stupid back then because I was actually more interested in me being the mouthpiece at the dinner table and thinking it was very funny because I like cat jokes. But my hostess was not only in tears because she didn't like the jokes, she was really, really, really deeply grieved and hurt by what I was saying. And at that stage of my life, I didn't care. I thought the reward was the laugh. To me, it was more important to have my laugh than for her to be acknowledged that her tears, even though it was about cats, I mean, it's like, yeah, what I, mean, what, what I say. But you hear what I'm saying? We, we can end up in a corner with an opinion, even something as stupid as telling cat jokes, that it's okay to do that. Which is some of the tip of the iceberg of racist language. It's the tip of the iceberg of all of these things that are getting a bit of airplay at the moment. But my strongly held opinion about this is that we're trying to address these relationship issues without God. And he's the key. Without him, we're always going to stuff it up. Without him, we're always going to be at war. Without him, we're always going to have demonstrations. Without him, we're always going to have people running up and down the street saying one thing or another. People getting angry, people spitting at people, people abusing people, people being crazy because we think we can fix relationship without God. You can't. If you want a decent relationship with a human being, you've got to be a person who pursues God first. Amen? Anyone say, preach it, Pastor Bruce. Come on. It is impossible that offences should not come. I want to be ready for them. I want to be ready to be offended. I want to be ready to be really ticked off with somebody and be able to go, you know what? I don't actually agree with that, but you and I together is way more important to me than having a Barney about that issue. 
And so I've had some people criticise me for not speaking my mind about the current scenario with COVID and everything attached to it. I've chosen as a pastor to shut my mouth. I have got opinions. I've got strong personal opinions about lots of stuff. And I've decided that my opinion doesn't actually add value to us. I've decided to shut my mouth and some people are having a real crack at me about being weak and you should speak up and you should... It's like, no, I shouldn't. What I should do is love this. Love my family. Love my community. I'm determined to keep my mouth as much as I can in the public sphere shut. Just telling you, okay? So if you want to espouse from Bruce about all that stuff, you're just going to have to wait till we're out of the mess and I might talk about it another day. But at the moment, I'm choosing because I value us. I value our relationships, I value our love, I value our camaraderie, I value that. That's what I think is taking the high road. I think that's what Jesus is saying, like, take heed of yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Nothing wrong with pushing back against somebody giving you the wrong thing. If he repents, forgive him. Oh, wait, hang on a minute, you don't know how hurt I was, God. No, no, it doesn't say, let's put them in a scale of one to 10. One's insignificant little issue, 10 is like, they should be going to hell. Uh, it's like, it, there's no category. It just is if they sin against you and they repent, forgive them. Wow. And if he sins again against you seven times in a day, this is in Luke 17, if you haven't caught up with that, Gav. Um, is it up there? No, it's okay. <laughs> this is Luke 17, three and four. Um, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I'm getting the strong Opinion from what Jesus is saying and much that he teaches. That being in relationship with other people is vital. And that there's something we can do about ensuring it continues to be vital. Not just, oh, I guess if I have to be Dave's friend, I will. I guess if I'm going to serve on the coffee team with, I don't really like Dave, he doesn't make good coffee, but I guess I could. You can have all kinds of reasons to not be in relationship. We can have all sorts of reasons to go, this isn't working for me. If we've got a view that it's my my body, my choice. Now, I want to say very carefully, I I just don't want anyone to misquote me or misunderstand. There are certain contexts where that little phrase has originated, where it's perfectly legitimate to say it. So I'm not saying it doesn't apply, but like lots of things, it doesn't apply everywhere. And it's not helpful everywhere. It's not helpful to have the attitude on the coffee team. My body, my choice. I'll make the coffees the way I want them. Do you want a, want a cafe latte? No, you're going to get a black one. It doesn't work that way. It's like, do you want a nice coffee? No, I want a hot coffee. Well, I'm making ice coffees today. That's it. My coffee making, my choice. <laughs> Just by extension. It's like we can go down these rabbit warrens and we can kind of miss how much destruction and trails of debris are behind us because we've decided that what I want is more important than what we need. Jesus warns in the last days when lots of people, Christian leaders and others are kind of, I think at the moment, trumpeting that we might be in the last days. I'm not 100% certain of that and I don't preach, some of you have been around for a long time, I don't preach end time stuff much in our church, if ever. Not because I don't believe in it, it's just that nobody knows. Jesus was pretty blunt. He said, I don't even know. The only one who knows is God. Father up there, he, he, he knows when it's coming to an end. I don't even really know. I can't work that out. But anyway, that's what the Bible does say. Um, 
But in Matthew 24, he says this, and this could describe our season beautifully. It's described other seasons in history. Make no mistake about that. Then many will be offended. They will betray one another. They'll hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness, which is sin, will abound, the love of many will grow cold. He's talking to Christians or disciples, people who are following him. He's not talking about the riffraff that don't belong in the, at the moment in the kingdom. He's talking about us losing our way. Then many will be offended and will betray one another. Oh, does that not describe what's going on? Man, talk about offended. Oh. So as a church community, we can make it a priority to value relationships over any rights and to know the pathway to healthy relationships is a dogged pursuit of unity. I want you to be determined, amongst other things, A, to love God, but as a, which is a core value in our church, but to love people. Love people means I value unity. The psalmist writes that um, how blessed it is when the brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing. It's like if we want God to bless our church, if we want God to bless our family, we've got to make it a priority to, is this issue going to divide us? Ask these questions. Is this issue dividing us? Is this conversation unifying or separating? Is my opinion about that matter bringing life or is it actually bringing division? Is my, does my opinion that matter that much? Maybe. Maybe it's a really important, well-informed opinion about a particular matter. But my greater question for a Christ follower is this. Is it binding the community of faith together or not? And if it isn't, maybe it needs to be just put to the side. And personally, no problem. You just stay strong on that matter. If that's what you believe and that's your opinion, I'd go, God bless you. Hang in there. Don't just chuck it out because the pastor said chuck it out. Um, but what I say is, is it possible to put it aside and pick up something of more value? Yeah. I value that. I don't know about you, but I have had some pretty toxic um, stuff you kind of conversations through the course of my life where there's nowhere else to go, but it's like, if that's what you think, I'm out of here. Um, that's sometimes been me, sometimes been other people. Um, I'm... I'm hoping I'm no different than you. I can get to the end of my rope and lose the plot. And what I'm saying here is I've seriously, many, many times in my life, and I probably will keep doing it because I'm human, I'm going to miss the point of what I'm preaching about. I'm going to want my opinion to be more important to me than us. And right here, right now, I say I am sorry. If I've ever, you've ever been on the receiving end of my opinion and it's caused us to not be an us, I'm out of line. No matter what you did in it, there's a point in which I've got to take responsibility. I put me above importance of us. And that's how important it is to me to say this this morning. We've got to do this better. We've got to do this well. We've got to do this uh, brutally, like take no hostages. We're going down this road. Amen? Amen. Proverbs chapter 19, 18 verse 19 says, A brother... Let's just get rid of the sexist language. A person offended is harder to win than a strong city and, a content, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Don't ever underestimate the sense of how much strength there is in an offence. 
This message caused me to go back and dig out a book called The Bait of Satan. If you've never, written it, ever, never read it by John Bevere, it is a seriously disturbing read about the power of offence and the fact that offence is the way Satan uses oh, sorry, offence to divide and conquer lives. The Bible says that a house divided cannot stand. I must admit, I, I look at our nation and pray at the moment, thinking, what... We're worried about China maybe taking, taking us out, if you think that. You may not think that, but there's lots of things that could destroy our nation that can come from the outside. But at the moment, my conviction is we're killing ourselves from the inside because yeah. a house divided cannot stand. That's not an opinion. That's the word of God. God says it straight up. You guys go down the road of breaking up the unity, you've had the gong. The exact opposite is true. The story of the Tower of Babel is a story about unity where God himself says, they're all speaking the same language. Read that as they're in unity. Nothing they put their mind to will be impossible for them. That's a pretty strong word from God in Genesis chapter 11, I think that is more. Maybe in chapter 6, I didn't look it up, but it's, just go there. Find the Tower of Babel story and read it for yourself. It's a very strong statement about unity. Is anybody getting some help with this? Anybody feeling like they need to... Say sorry to somebody. Maybe you do. Maybe you need to just have a time of repentance, which I might do as a prayer at the end today. Maybe it's just something that needs to be reset. In fact, I wrote that, wrote that question down in my notes. Does my view of unity need a reset? Does its importance in my life need to be lifted from maybe here to there, or if it's there, up to there? Like how important is unity? Ephesians chapter four. As a prisoner for the Lord then, there's that language again. Paul's got the language of slavery, being incarcerated. is like, we want to cry out, protesting in the streets. We deserve our freedom. And I get that, and I'm grateful to live in a free country. And I sure as heck don't want to live in a totalitarian country where there's a lot of restrictions on totally everything. But I've got to tell you, it's not freedom. Fighting for freedom as a Christ follower is an anathema to what the gospel is about. I'm actually a prisoner to a loving God. He owns me. He wants me to live for him, to do things with him and for him, more importantly, in relationship with him. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Listen to this, language of this, verse three. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's a good little heads up for any church. Make every effort. Come on, Bruce, you can do it. Make every effort. And there's a few people that you'd like to give a mouthful of abuse to. Not in church, but other places. It's like, um, make every effort to keep unity. In the community. In the Adelaide Hills. Down at Parkside, Henley Beach. If you're watching from Sydney or Canada or wherever. What's the unity factor like in your life? Is it a priority? Or is it? Not what, some of what matters to me is what I think. And so we get down to the nitty-gritty of this message, which is a suggestive way of how to actually do this. Okay, so it's not about just do this and good luck with you. I've got a, a little step you can take. Anyone excited about that? This is the, the how-to bit's coming, okay? Just hang in there, I'll get there. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, we're in Ephesians 4, verse 11, 13, uh, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's those there's words that are just woven in there. Unity, equipping, following on from John's message last week, serving, service. Does my view of unity need a reset? How do we do that? This is an interesting thought I had. The unity that Paul is talking about in that scripture is not something I choose. Hmm, it's like, oh, I'm choosing to get out of bed. I'm going to put on the unity dress today, or in my case, trousers. I'm, putting, I'm getting dressed in unity. I, I'm choosing. I'm choosing to get it out of the cupboard and put it on. I can have a view that I'm going to work hard at unity. I got the impression from what he says there, it is something that grows in us as we choose to serve. Let me say that again. Unity is something that grows in us as we choose to serve and choosing to serve with other people. So, can we whack those photos up now, please, Gav? Julie and I have been part of each of our build trips to Fiji. Didn't go last year, nor this year, because of COVID. Uh, we might get to go there in 2022, fingers crossed. And we say hello to our Fijian friends. If they're listening online, they sometimes do. Um, they're still meeting online at the moment for church over there because of the coronavirus. But we've been to the Fiji build trip every year. And there's a core of people in this church who've been on every trip as well as we have. But one thing I've noticed on each of those trips with a number of different people who have joined our team over there is the unity that grows really quickly each trip because we're serving together. Look at that one. How many nails and hammers does it take to put a piece of wood onto another piece of wood? Yeah, five there. Yeah. So I want to say to you a very simple how-to, how to actually ensure you and I are doing our bit to build unity in a family, in our workplace, in our church, on any teams that we serve here and on Sunday is to actually serve. To not serve leaves us kind of orphaned out on the side of relationship, yes, but it can also just make us feel like we don't quite belong. And it's like, well, if we serve together, we step into this place where God is in the business of making us feel like this is my family. This is my home. I know about you as a parent, we taught our kids to clean up their own mess, pack away their toys, do the dishes now and then, get in to clean the bathrooms or like pulling teeth as they got older, but um, we, we tried to persevere. Why did we do that? Well, you could say because those tasks need to be done. Well, they did. But the tasks needing to be done is way less significant than then learning to serve. Yeah. Then learning the responsibility of doing things for others. Yeah. There's nothing in cleaning the bathroom if you don't care about the bathroom being dirty. I happen to think a bathroom that's not spotless is completely essential in life, but there are others in our family who do. And so <laughs> I, I'm very, very happy to participate in my share of serving. Uh, just in case Fiona Wilson's listening. She cleans our bathroom these days, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. 
I used to do it a long time ago is what I'm saying, okay? Just remember, I'm old. Okay. So let me ask this question. Does my attitude to serving need a reset? Do I need to step back from my whatever that is? I'm to this, I'm to that, I haven't got this, I haven't got that. But what if the answer to life being totally meaningful, life's purpose becoming clearer, was to actually step into an arena of unity? And that arena of unity is open to anybody who's willing to roll up their sleeves and stand alongside another human being and do some work. Look at that great team. That's a, that is a diverse team. And as you can, uh, there's some people in there you may not recognise. That was a venture. We had some guys from Bridgman Downs join us that year. We had, and had always had the guys from Norwood, CFU Norwood here in Adelaide joining us. Um, we have a lot of fun and that's kind of the house uh, nearly done. Well, lots of things not done there though, aren't there? That's, that might be just partway through the week. I think John Tom is looking for God to come with some rain. Or... <laughs> what are you looking at there, John? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that is there. So anyway, it's all good. But I love that. And that's just one example of, in the course of like literally four days of picking up some tools, we can have a whole lot of opportunities. And the thing is, to remember here, look at the, the variation in clothing, skin color, height, sex, gender, um, enthusiasm. What I'm saying is, all the things that can potentially, we can compare, that can divide, become less important to us when we serve and we've got unity. We've got one thing to do in that four-day period over there is build that house. All of our differences make no difference. Have we still got them? We had them when we got there. We had them while we were building and we brought them home with us, our differences. But serving together gave us unity. How cool is that? There is power in that. There's power in this word. I can feel the anointing sitting on that. I want to pray to close. Um, Why don't we stand on our feet? I don't know about you, but as I have put this message together and as I've thought about the Fiji example, I found myself sitting in my office repenting, having a time of confession. Lord, I really do repent for the times that I've become indignant or convinced that my view of a matter is the right view when it's really only a view no matter how well informed I might have thought I've been about some issues with some people, I've dug my heels in, still over an opinion. In other words, my view of the matter, at the expense of us. And so I want to pray for myself, but I want to pray on your behalf, if that's okay, about this matter. So, mighty God, Our Heavenly Father, we're standing in your presence right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, as you always do, not to condemn, but to convict. Lord, I pray for any of my friends here this morning who, under this word today, have felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit, saying, yeah, come on, why don't we just unload that stuff out of our spirit? Why don't we just let that stuff out of us right now? So, Lord, I pray that you take any one of us in our mind, in our imagination, in our, our memories to a conversation 
or a scenario or maybe a season of life where everything kind of went pear-shaped. And when we think about it, what was a casualty of that season was unity or community. Maybe peace within the family. Maybe it became a scary, uncomfortable environment at work. I don't know where your mind's going at the moment, but I want you to invite God in there and to have this conversation with Him. Lord, we're sorry. Sorry for the times that we've allowed some of the teaching of the world to run us down pathways that don't line up with your word. Lord, we want to be those people who love one another. We want to be those who forgive, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. Jesus is saying, just in that word, forget counting, just forgive. Right now, I pray, I could just sense that there would be some scenarios where you've hung on doggedly with a sense of almost righteous indignation. I'm, I'm entitled, I, I was offended, I was taken advantage of. I was abused. Maybe none of that stuff can be undone, but what can be done right now is to say, Lord, I forgive. Lord, I pray as I forgive, you would forgive me. for the ill-gotten thoughts, for the careless words that have flown out of my mouth, for the insensitive nature of conversations. Lord, pray right now that a wind of the Spirit would blow into every one of our lives, strengthening us, encouraging us, freeing us. Lord, I pray you'll put a, and you would command a, a, a blessing over this church. Lord, that unity would be something we are known for. And Lord, that as we put our shoulder to the plow, as the saying goes, Lord, that we'd actually find serving alongside one another, just revitalized, refreshed and renewed. I thank you for every relationship. I thank you for our connect group leaders, people who care for others in our church. I thank you for our team leaders. Thank you for people, Lord, that serve in our children's department, our youth area. Lord, our music team who work behind the scenes practicing. Lord, we are so grateful for them. Thank you for the people who welcome people at the front of the building on a Sunday morning, just with a warm smile. I pray, Lord, that every person who serves in our church would have a great sense of purpose in what they are doing week in, week out. Be with us, guide us, direct us today in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.